Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. So we're talking about mindfulness and somehow the self-compassion that sort of comes into mindfulness parenting. Now, there's so many different ways that mindfulness sort of comes into place and it sort of kicks in with a little bit of buzz every single time when it comes to parenting techniques. Um, I think I've mentioned mindfulness parenting before. We've had an episode on it previously, but it's something that I really want to get another take on. And I think I would love to discuss it even further. So joining me on the show today is Anne Manning. How are you going today, Anne? I'm great. Thanks, Dina. I am really excited to have you on the show today because looking at looking into your work and some of the things that you've spoken about and the courses that you take on, they really focus onto the, onto balancing your own mind into trying to understand your own parenting techniques and trying to pretty much be the best parent that you can be. I think parenting is one of the hardest things anyone can do. <laughs> um, it. I mean, well, there are plenty of guidebooks, but there's no, you know, definitive guide in the moment. So coming out at the end and feeling content, you know, feeling happy and satisfied with the process of parenting is it's really important. And plus seeing children grow into adults and admiring them and loving them is it's 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 about as rewarding as life can get. Mm-hmm. And today's sort of topic of discussion is the influence that self-compassion has in mindfulness parenting. So how did you get to talking about this or even looking into this a little bit more about how self-compassion really fits into parenting? Okay. My, my interest in self-compassion or in mindfulness, in meditation goes way, way back. Um, I've been practicing meditation for over 40 years. It's, oh, we can come to it later. It's something I never thought I would be interested in, but I've found um, it as a way of just bring keeping myself in balance. And then about oh, 10 years ago now, a friend of mine, a colleague who teaches mindfulness in the UK, worked as a mindfulness therapist, in fact, told me, he kept encouraging me to do a mindfulness training course. And the, the what was available just all seemed a bit dry to me. And then one day he said, oh, I'm doing this new course, Mindful Self-Compassion. And I just went, yes. <laughs> you know. And I got online as soon as I got off the phone. And there was a teacher training happening in Australia in six months' time. And I had to do a course. There was a course happening in two weeks in Coffs Harbour. I jumped in my car. I did the course. I did the teacher training. Um, 
I just, it's love. It's about kindness and love, self-compassion. And bringing that into mindfulness, I have learned, is just like bringing magic into it. It's, it's a capacity to transform my state and the state of others, I think, is, is extraordinary. And, and, well, as I said, parenting is one of the most difficult things to do. I think it's an area where we can beat ourselves up more than anything else. So, so to be able to bring that into parenting is really important. Mm-hmm. And while we're on the topic, I think it's such an amazing thing to be able to look into the different pathways that can sort of come in and the different ways that that self-compassion really fits into mindfulness parenting. So to you, what does mindfulness really mean? Mindfulness, I think, I mean, this is an, uh, the definition is something like um, having awareness of your present moment state. Um, can I tell you a little story that I think illustrates it really nicely? This I heard yes. somebody, a man telling me this years ago, he was in some sort of standoff with his seven or eight-year-old daughter. You know, they were both like this, you know, no, <laughs> no. And he said it suddenly flashed into his mind that was there was only room for one child in this situation and he'd already had his turn. Um, so he had to start acting like an adult rather than a child, a stubborn child. And to me, in a way, that's mindfulness, to have an awareness of what's going on in the moment. And I think in parenting, it's really easy to get sort of, you know, wound up in in a situation and especially into, it has to happen like this, I have to have my outcome. And the mindfulness is almost like going, I'm being really stubborn here. Is there another way? That mindfulness is just knowing what you're doing you're having an awareness of what you're doing. And then there's an element also of acceptance. I'm not meaning to be judgmental, but it is, we can't change unless, we can't shift a situation unless we have some sort of perspective on it. And I, I think mindfulness is having, a la- developing that perspective in the moment. I'm, I'm talking about mindfulness here as distinct from mindfulness meditation, which is you know, sitting with a sort of an awareness. But mm-hmm. in parenting, the real issue is responding in the middle of, of any sort of situation that isn't going beautifully <laughs> for you. No, that is, that is such a, it's an amazing outlook into the diff, into a method of parenting that sort of comes in. And I know that a lot of people, I mean, from what I understand, there comes mindfulness and there comes the acceptance and you can't have one without the other. You have to really acknowledge the kind of parenting that you are going through at the moment and accept that, okay, whether it's a good or bad thing, it sort of really falls into what you see as a good parenting technique. And even good is a difficult word, but I think it's almost like yeah, the acceptance is almost like I'm feeling really angry at the moment or I'm feeling really frustrated at the moment or I'm, I can't, I'm not feeling like I'm coping at the moment, you know, let's take it to real extreme. So often just acknowledging that, it just takes it from, you know, 10 or 12 out of 10 
down to a manageable four or five out of 10. And then we've got a bit of capacity, a bit of resilience, a capacity to negotiate a situation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's amazing. And I can't wait to sort of dive into this even further. But before we do, we're talking about you and we love to start off the show with doing a little get to know you. And this is just a little icebreaker, that game that we love to play at the beginning. So when I say these questions, when I ask you these questions, just say the first thing that sort of comes to your mind. And I know you've been giving the questions beforehand, so you got a little bit of preparation. Oh, I but, um, <laughs> but I am very, I'm very excited for you to share with the audience and to me some of your answers to these questions. Okay, go. So the first one is a favorite book of yours. And you know what comes to mind is I think the book that's been most significant in my life and the reason is because okay I'll I'll go back I when I left school I studied psychology at university um because I wanted to understand what makes us tick you know how we work in just understand being human I guess and I happened to study as part of a science degree in the early 1970s, and I got through to doing an honours degree, and my honours year, I was walking around going, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Because it was like everything was in little boxes, and there was no whole connection. And so, I mean, I finished that. I worked as a psychologist for four days and um, took off in other directions. In fact, working in children's theatre, theatre and education, which was a place where you experience. It was about experiencing what you're experiencing, even if you're role-playing. And in that time, my friend borrowed a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I don't even know if that title's still popular. But it was um, written by a philosopher who'd sort of put together the meaning of life in a way, but in such a way that he completely lost his mind and had to spend a number of years in the psychiatric institute. So he determined to re- to re, um, renegotiate that, reconnect with his philosophy, but doing it while riding a motorcycle across America with his son and using the metaphor of motorcycle maintenance to keep his ideas grounded. And at the end of the book, I was sitting, I remember I was sitting on the back veranda of the house I was living in, the top of the steps. I finished the book and my whole awareness just dissolved into white light. Um, and I ended up at the bottom of the garden sitting under a gardenia bush with tears streaming down my face. It was really, for me, it was a really powerful, profound experience of wholeness, which is what I've been looking for. Mm-hmm. That enough? Wow. And yeah, no, I think, and I'm looking up the book as well, and it's still in print. And it sounds, yeah. it sounds very interesting to me, yeah. especially with the, uh, the two different ideas that sort of really don't fit in with each other but somehow somehow he makes it work so it sounds it sounds very interesting I mean I did reread it at the time I took notes <laughs> and I, I haven't read it for a long time and I most probably should I'd be really interesting to see how I relate to it now you know some what are we 50 years on yeah yeah well that that would be such a good um social experiment for you yeah, for you to okay, do as I'm well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one is a favorite movie of yours. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I I was 
saying to Dina before, I had to um, ask my daughter, <laughs> what would I say? And she was right. There's a movie called The Last Waltz. It's it's actually we're in the same time period, the early 70s. Um, there was a, a group called, the, in a way it brings in all the musicians I loved at that time, the band who played this sort of country rock and Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and they all performed this amazing concert. And, yeah, I've watched it again and again and again whenever it comes up on TV. And it, I think for all of us, there's, there's a period in our lives where music's really important and, you know, that music kind of was my formative music. So I, I love watching it and I love watching the people. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, there you go. And <laughs> next up is a favourite podcast that you listen to. Well, now we come into the present, which is really yeah. <laughs> really nice. Um, this My favourite podcast is called Conversations. It's on it, the ABC radio. It's on it's broadcast every day at 11 o'clock, but I don't always listen to it. But it's just an hour-long conversation with interesting people. And the, Richard Feidler and Sarah Konoski, who conduct the conversations, are both just, they like people. So there's, there's, I mean, sometimes it's promoting a book or something like that, but there's not a real agenda and it's a time to get to know someone. So it's so often you hear fascinating stories about people's lives that you wouldn't have come across otherwise so yeah that's my favorite podcast yeah well fun fact about that I actually have a couple of friends who work who work on the um conversation so yeah I think they'll be really gassed to be able to hear that that's one of your favorites because I love listening to every episode that they send me and it I don't know I think it's such a way it's such a very new format of learning something so that's probably why I love this show, this podcast, this whole idea of podcasts as well, because it's a whole new way of getting information that you never would hear in everyday life. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one is a famous role model of yours. So, again, I really struggle to think at this time in my life who is a famous role model and it's it's this this again is is kind of the opposite of the 1970s because what came to mind was Taylor Swift. Um, I have as I said, my daughter's 18, so as she was growing through her teen years, she would share her music with me. So I've been aware of Taylor Swift since you know Love Story came out. Um, and I mean, there's there's two things that really I mean, there's about five things that I most really admire about it. One of them is just that she's a kind person. You hear, you hear little stories about how she she goes out of her way to be generous to people. And, I mean, at the moment I think she's hitting stratospheric levels of fame. But you still get this sense that she's she's about looking after people and making people feel good. Um, I also love some of her lyrics. I think she's really important for empowering Women to own their vulnerability. I, I, that's that's one of the things she's very um, she's very comfortable articulating her vulnerability, but not being weak. She's also, you know, got a lot of feist in her. There's a couple of lines from her songs that I, I just, you know, I just relish. Um, no, I can't. I won't try and think of it now because it won't come to me. But look, anyhow, and in terms of famous role models, it would generally be people who are kind, 
and people who look up look after other people. And and especially when someone has a position of power and they go out of their way to make sure other people are still cared for. I think that's really important. Yes. And I was I was telling um I was telling Anne behind the scenes before we started recording that we have an in-house Taylor Swift fan club. So there is a whole lot of us who are just constantly talking about Taylor Swift, constantly um, hyping her up. And we're very excited the moment that she will announce a world tour. And I am I am saving money so hard in order to be able to go to the concert because I am not missing the one like I missed last time because she is she is an incredible role model and I think if you really understood her she's not just another celebrity she is so much more than that and I think even the people that she has around her whether like Selena Gomez as well I think the the things that they do the conversations that they have is just is just so enlightening to the way that we need to act in our society as well and I think mm. it's something that we can definitely take as a huge inspiration. There's a wonderful video of Taylor speaking at a graduation ceremony and yes. just saying you will make mistakes, you will be, you know, you will overdo it, you will underdo it. It's just this, yes, you will be human, you know, don't, don't, don't hold yourself back. Yes, I, I watch that whenever I feel like I need a little pick-me-up. So it's it's the perfect perfect way. I think she has that perfect way of connecting with with people. Yeah, she's got she's got a great emotional intelligence. Yes. Okay. Uh, the last one is a course that you've completed that sort of really gave you a whole inspiration. I mean Gosh, I have to say over COVID, I, 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 at one stage I think I was doing about eight different online courses at once. I really had to stop myself. Oh. But look, the, I mean, seriously, the Mindful Self-Compassion course would be the course that's been the most important to me because it, I felt like it just brought together so many themes that mattered to me in my life and in a way that, that could move into something really constructive and valuable. Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing. And it works perfectly. I mean, it definitely gave you a chance to speak about a lot of things. And I mean, it gave us the honor of having you on the show to talk about mindful parenting and self-compassion and so many different aspects of parenting that we, I mean, as I'm not a parent, but as people like my parents who sort of really don't get the chance to figure out for themselves until later on in life exactly what mindful parenting is. So talking about today, I know everyone has a different definition as to what parenting can be defined as, and it's not a universal situation. What do you think your definition of parenting is? Well, Rather than a definition, I'd like to use a metaphor, if that's okay. Because yes, this is what I think really, really fits parenting. And it's 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 what I've heard described when a potter's making a pot on a wheel. There's one hand inside the pot supporting it and one hand on the outside of the pot shaping it. And I, I feel like in a way, as a parent, we need to, to be doing both 
we need to be offering that total, unconditional, loving support and acceptance. And at the same time, we need to be providing guidance and in putting in place boundaries and, you know, evolving as the child evolves. Those boundaries are moving all the time. So so it, it's sort of, there's it's, it's a balancing act, I guess, parenting of always always, always knowing your child is loved and accepted and at the same time letting them know when their behaviour may not be so much loved, but that doesn't mean the child isn't loved. Mm -hmm. And that honestly seems like the hardest job. I think you mentioned earlier parenting is the hardest job (laughs) to be able to do. And I mean to balance that yourself to be both shaping and supporting must be like the most difficult challenge um, for a parent. And so what would you go ahead and tell expectant parents that they need to first be aware of before they sort of get into that transition of parenting? Speaking as someone who's only become a parent once, I have a stepson who I met when he was four, so I've I've got an interesting um, balanced view, but Nothing can nothing can prepare you. I I actually I'm thinking when I did a birth, childbirth class beforehand, and we had a session on um, coping with childbirth, and the last thing the teacher said was, "Remember, you don't have to cope." And I somehow transitioned that also into parenting. You're going to get it wrong. You've got to forgive yourself a hundred times. I think. Especially in this, these days, because a lot of women, well, well, women who are going to be mothers, and and maybe it's more so for women. I'm not sure because I've only had that experience in this lifetime. Um, but a lot of women are working sort of in corporate jobs where there's rules and guidelines and boundaries, etc. And when you have a child, it's like you suddenly got to move initially, especially left brain to right brain. Um, <laughs> coming home from hospital with my daughter and sitting on the sofa all day just holding her, terrified, because you have this completely vulnerable little bee and suddenly realising I'm totally responsible for this and it, it, I was completely overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I also remember I'd been doing the bookkeeping for our family business at the time and about a month later the accountant rang me up and was asking me questions and I didn't understand what he was talking about. It wasn't that it wasn't a minor thing I couldn't understand. I had no um, frame of reference at all for what he was talking about. And I think that's biology making mothers turn into cows in a way because we just need to be present and caring while that little one's little. Something mm-hmm. I've just sorry jumping. I've learned in a re- lovely recent course I took on self compassion and shame was as a child. Children, babies, newborn have two needs. One is to be have our physical needs cared for and the other need is to be loved because if we're loved, then that parent will do everything they can to care for us and support us. So hopefully, I mean, for some of us, we don't have that experience for all sorts of different reasons and, it, you know, connecting with needing to love that child is not is a challenge but in the child, that need is really strong. And, and if we're able to connect with that love, that's a really great starting point. 
And sometimes it can be completely overwhelming as well. You're talking about being in charge of this one little, this being who has completely no sense of anything, no understanding of what the world is, no understanding of looking after itself. So it's sometimes hard to be compassionate to yourself and do all that self-care rituals that a lot of people talk about and sort of take care of yourself. How would you describe the con- the concept of self-compassion in the context of parenting? Well, when you started speaking, I thought I, I need to go back and, and explain the concept of self-compassion for, as I've learned it. So I'll, I'll step away from parenting for a minute if that's okay. Okay, yes, go and for I, it. But, so there's a psych, research psychologist in America called Kristen Neff, and she's the woman who initiated research into self-compassion. I understand she'd been working in a, a university, in a college, I guess, um, doing research into self-esteem under, under her supervisor, and in her life there were a number of really challenging incidents that happened, um, including as parents, like uh, she had a child who developed disabilities. Um, and in order to cope with this, she began practicing Buddhism. And one of the concepts that's really important in Buddhism is compassion. And it started her thinking about self-compassion and she was able to begin doing research into self-compassion. And she basically identified three components of self-compassion, three, three aspects that we need to learn. So the first is mindfulness. It's like we have to be aware that we're suffering before we can do anything about it. So it's rather than, it's a bit like the baby doesn't have mindful awareness, so it will just cry and cry and cry. But as, the, as an adult, when we're upset, to be able to just go, oh, wow, I'm really upset at the moment is a really good starting point. The second point is common the awareness of common humanity. And I, I don't know if you've noticed this, when you're feeling really bad and really down, there's a tendency to sort of withdraw, um, to feel isolated. Nobody else feels like this. Nobody else understands what I'm going through. Nobody's ever been in such an awful situation. It's It's... I, I won't go too much detail on that. That's the second um, aspect. And the third aspect is kindness, being kind to ourselves. Okay. Um, so, and and so, and so, and really those three factors underlie all self-compassion practices. But coming back to that parent who's having a hard time, in some ways it is just doing that simple, this is really hard. I'm feeling, I'm really struggling at the moment. And... I mean, I, oh, I was going to go into this in detail later. And then just, and, and just offering kindness to the, ourselves at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I think I said before, I've been practicing meditation for 40 years. And often when I sit for meditation, it's like difficult, you know, uncomfortable feelings come up. But as I've started to also, I mean, and I'd always learned to witness those feelings, those sensations, those emotions. Then when I learned to bring kindness into the equation, it's, I don't know, somehow it dissolves it completely. Mm-hmm. And can I go on to say, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. but No, that's okay, go for one, it. One of the things that I've, I've learned, I learned also when I did the self-compassion training, which I really love, 
is that when we're stressed, we go into fight, flight, freeze mode. You know, it's the mm-hmm. reptilian brain takes over adrenaline, cortisone, you know, and we either freeze up or we just want to get the hell out of there or, you know, we always throw something. There's another important system in the brain, which is the mammalian care system, which stimulates the release of oxytocin, of of opiate-type receptors in the brain, which have all the opposite um, effects. We need to, I mean, and apparently, you know, we need to actively engage with that system to balance that the reptilian brain, the automatic flight, fight, flight, breathe. That's always a bit of a tongue twister to me. And <laughs> it turns out the three things that stimulate the mammalian care system are one, warmth, and that doesn't just mean physical warmth but also warm feeling, mm-hmm. soothing touch, just stroking, you know, just, I mean, that as simple as that, stroking ourselves, stroking the baby, and the other is soft vocalizations. And you can think of a mother breeding the baby and it, it is, you know, just that you're hold, they're wrapped up, they're warm, you're holding them, maybe stroking them and just go, oh. don't even need to be making work sense, but it's just, hmm, yes, hmm. And, 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 and with babies, apparently it, those actions will release those brain chemicals in the baby and the mother or the father mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but so the efforts of the kindness, offering kindness, and often it's done with a little hand over the heart or stroking the heart, just going, oh, you're having a really hard time at the moment, aren't you? Um, <laughs> no one else is going to do it because no one's else in the house half the time or if they're your partner's there, they're equally going. So, <laughs> wow, this is a really difficult time, isn't it? Oh, I'm really having a hard time. Not going, oh, this is terrible. But it's 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 the mindfulness is, is having that little bit of perspective to recognize and I don't know, for some reason it just de- it diffuses the situation so much. So that that's mm. why the self compassion to my mind is of vital importance in this. And then in terms of parenting, I think what role does it play in parenting? And then sort of I mean, we talk about parenting techniques and we talk mm-hmm. about the ways that you raise a child and the way that you handle a child, like you're talking about the the soft spokenness of your mm-hmm. words and talking to a baby, like how does that fit into self compassion as well and just doing that to yourself? Well, I mean, that that's I guess is 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 part of it when when you're feeling, I mean, old babies you get frustrated with babies because they will cry or they will get sick and. They're not going to listen to anything you've got to say, <laughs> but they might listen to your attitude. And I think when we're stressed and uptight, that energy gets communicated and it's only going to exacerbate the situation. So I was saying before about that man who recognized there was only room for one child in the situation. He needed to be the adult or he needed, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of stepping away for a minute and saying, this isn't going well. Um, but can I, can I tell you another side of this though it's just an experience I had with Tommy my stepson when he was maybe seven or eight and we'd been walking I don't remember what it was about but I snapped at him for some reason 
And then we're walking along and I'm beating myself up for being so unreasonable. And then I glanced down at him and I recognized he just wanted me to go back to being me again. He wasn't sitting there. You know, this is a young child, obviously, when you get to 13 or 14, it might be very different. He wasn't going, she's terrible. Why did she do that? That was so unreasonable. He just wanted me to be the person he liked and who has a nice relationship with. And that's part of it. It's, it's, I think self-compassion is always about regaining our equilibrium in a situation so that it's possible, especially as children get older, it's possible to negotiate with them mm-hmm. in a way that's going to be effective, in a way that you know, they don't always respect the parent's opinion, but in a way that, um, you know, that you can move forward. Mm-hmm. And in what ways are self-compassion and parenting linked to each other? I mean, they we talk about okay, yes, you have to be self-compassionate. You have to hold that self-compassion. And it talks about self and looking after yourself in different ways. But it's not usually something that you really talk about when you're a parent because you're, okay, your life is done. Your parenting begins. You have to raise this child. It becomes, it doesn't become about you. It becomes about the child. So how would you link them to each other? Well, well, the first thing I'd say is, you know that, oh, maybe you don't. There's, there's an old saying, don't do what I do, do what I say. But in fact, how we are when in relation to our children, the, the inner state is as important as the, you know, what we're doing externally, you know, and both. Yes, so, you know, if we're in a good state, I don't know why my hands are there, but if we're in a good state, we're going to be connecting on that heart level, even if overtly we're saying, we're needing to say words that are are not, that are limiting. But I, I, I sense if we can reconnect and reconnect with the heart feeling and ourselves, the child also knows that the parent is coming from a position of love and care. Their <laughs> words may not always even say that, but, but you know, they do feel it. And, you know, maybe 10 years later they'll come back and acknowledge it, even if they can't at the time. <laughs> I, I, there was something else that, that came to mind that was, again, to do with my stepson. When he got to being year seven, year eight, so, you know, 11, 12, 13, we suddenly seem to be having a lot of, um, yeah, knocking heads. Um, suddenly he was doing the wrong thing all the time. We were telling him off. And, I mean, I, I can, in hindsight, I know that's the sort of age when the child needs to be differentiating themselves from the parents. So suddenly they're challenging everything rather than just being this sort of, you know, happy member of the family. But there was a day where for some reason I took myself back and I thought about what it was like to be me when I was that age. And I just became aware of my inner world and the fact that I thought about things and I cared about things and I wasn't a disobedient child, I was a person. And something really deep shifted in how I related to him and seriously we didn't have another conflict for about Till he was about 21 or 22, I remember we had a, a falling out over something. But it just completely shifted everything because suddenly 
I was respecting his humanity. And so we could we could talk to one another. And I think part of, I'm just thinking this now, part of the issue with children is, uh, with parenting is, as soon as we get something solved, that child changes completely. You know, they mature and, and we've got to re, readjust because they're, they're no longer being the person they were last week, you know. <laughs> they keep growing, they keep maturing, they keep throwing us off centre. And I guess the, the deeper in our own beings we can recenter ourselves and adjust to who who's being presented to us now, the more capable we are of relating authentically with them. And I think, like, for me, when, what I sort of understanding, especially that my sister and I are now growing up, we're now becoming adults, and I'm 25 now, my sister's going to be 21, and we're pretty much grown up in terms of what we need, what we used to need from our parents. And it's definitely changed. Um, so I think like in terms of my parents, like they're, my mom's life was pretty much us for the enormity of our childhood. And she was there and we loved her being there, but now she's definitely coming to that stage where she's, <laughs> well, she's definitely now coming to that stage where she's, coming into her own way and she's finding life outside of us. So that's like, that's when I think about self-compassion, when I think about um, parenting and the parenting practices and being mindful, she's definitely coming into understanding that a bit more. And that's like her way of doing things is now like, she's very much focused on herself where it's it was such a big change for us, let alone for her when we were like, okay, she's not always here. She's not always home. She's going to be doing her own thing. And I think it, it came with a whole new balance and a whole new dynamic that we had to get ready for that. I don't think any of us were very ready for her sort of like, it felt very quick in her like, okay, I'm going to be working now. I'm going to go try to study so I can get back to work. And now she's working and she's trying to find jobs and she's doing all that, which is great. But at the same time, it was like a huge jump from like her being a mom to her being a human. So I, I, I had something I wanted to say in response to that. You just made me think of, I remember I would have only been 10 or 11 and we were playing Scrabble and my mother won and I was outraged. How dare you win at Scrabble? You're the mother. You're meant to let us win. <laughs> I never played Scrabble again. <laughs> so we, we do want our parents to be particular ways, don't we? Yes. Um, no, I think so. I think that's a huge um, barrier and there's a huge challenge when we're coming up with growing up in that self-compassion and I know that my mom felt like she's starting to neglect all of us when she started doing her own thing as well. So that was a huge thing that we had to discuss. Yeah. But in terms of challenges, what are some other or more common challenges or barriers that parents can face when they're trying to practice that self-compassion in the context of mindful parenting? Well, I think in a way what you've just been talking about um, raises one of the greater challenges for parents nowadays because so many parents are trying to combine 
like full-time careers and caring for their children. And often there's just this list that has to get ticked off and it's, you know, you almost miss out on being with the child. So I I don't know whether this answers the question about self-compassion, but it is actually almost asking each, each parent, asking themselves, what do I actually want? You know, what do I, where did I have these children? What do I want them? What what do I want them for? Sounds a bit bald, but you know, you know, because children can bring you the greatest delight, and they can they can be frustrating, and it's so much nicer if they bring delight. Mm-hmm. But but I, I guess we have to do the work. But can I tell you something beautiful? Because we learn from our children as well, don't we? When my daughter was about 12, she said to me one day, she said, Mom, you never tell me you love me. And I was absolutely shocked because my whole life was about loving her, but I realized my mother never said, I love you out loud, so I never thought to say it. And, you know, since then, you know, now she's, you know, your sort of age, she'll still say, I love you, Mommy. And it's like, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's, the best thing in my life, I think, just having having those words and knowing there's that connection with that child. Um, yeah. So, so part of it is is prioritizing that we want to have, we want to love our children, we want to connect with the love we have for our children, because I think that feeling, I believe, that feeling we can have when the child is born is is a feeling that you don't really get in any other circumstance. And and while I say that, I do know that for some people that doesn't happen and they can feel really bad because they don't feel that love. You know, someone being goes into postnatal depression, it's going to be not that. And in those sorts of circumstances, self-compassion is so important because it's almost like, Everyone tells me I should be this thing and I'm not feeling it. I'm a failure. You know, it's almost like I'm feeling bad and then I'm compounding feeling bad by beating myself up for feeling bad. So in those situations, it's like I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing and it's really hard. I wish I wasn't, but this is what's happening now. And as I give that size, almost because that's my experience when we can – have a moment of just being accepting and caring for ourselves, it's like there's a layer of tension that just releases. Mm-hmm. And in parenting, going through, you know, I mean, I still, I'm glad you think you don't need parenting anymore at 25. I think it maybe goes up. No, I, th- I think I always need her. I still call her and decide whether I want to go and buy food outside or not or whether I should come home and eat. So there is that there is that level of dependency that sort of is still there. I think I think and I think it dissipates more as you get into your thirties, but yeah. Um, especially when you become a parent yourself, if you that's what happens in your life. This it it's such um like it, parenting is such a twisting, winding road, you know, you never know what's gonna pop out of out of the woodwork the next minute. So part of it's just going, okay, this is what's happening now. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really hating it. I'm not coping and just accepting those things. Yes. So 
Now talking about some of the misconceptions that can sort of come about when you're yeah. you're trying to f- combine self-compassion and mindful parenting and you're trying to put that in some of your techniques, what's some of the misconceptions that can sort of come about when you are trying to look after yourself and also look after a child? Look, well, I, I, I'd say this more just misconceptions about self-compassion in general, mindful self-compassion that people think it might be weak, that if you're being compassionate, you're not being a firm enough disciplinarian, you're not providing boundaries. Um, I actually pulled up some research. This was really interesting. Um, This was what we call a meta-analysis of 13 different studies looking at self-compassion and parenting. And where's the results? They found that parents... Parenting interventions that include self-compassion components improve parents' self-compassion, depression, anxiety, stress, mindfulness. It's also in self-compassion. This is a fabulous thing about self-compassion. It actually enhances resilience. And depending on what sort of cultural and microculture someone grew up in, which is often just family values, you can see self-compassion can be seen as weakness, as self-indulgence, you know, all those sorts of things. When it's practiced or said, I mean, and it could be used as a cop-out, I'm being self-compassionate, now go away. But um, <laughs> when it's, when it's, when everyone is someone's being authentically self-compassionate, they actually have more capacity to adjust to what's happening now, to being resilient in a, in a situation. I haven't, don't know that I've, I've answered your question directly, but I think I've obliquely responded to it. Yeah, no, I think that's such a, it's so interesting when you're talking about self-compassion because it is seen as being selfish. Okay, you take care of yourself before you sort of take care of everyone else. And it's so interesting when you talk about self because we really use the word self in such a bad, we give it such a bad light. You're being selfish, you're being... um, self-compassionate you're taking care of yourself first and there's that whole idea of connecting it to something that you really need to do and in terms I think in a way everyone takes care of themselves you put yourself first in a lot of aspects or you should put yourself first in a lot of things whether it's in how you parent whether it's how you um when you're going applying for a job as well, you want yourself to be picked. You're not going to be yeah. like, okay, no, I want the other person to be chosen. So that's sort of being like a, admitting. I think we all have to admit that we are trying to take care of ourselves as well. I think though with parenting, it's it's a really interesting balance. I mean, there's there's a there has been or there can be a tendency also to completely deny one's own needs for the sake of the children, you know, mm-hmm. or that's the that's how, how it appears. I can re- actually remember teaching a meditation class so many years ago and this woman said that we were always taught to put ourselves last. And, I mean, none of, none of this is black and white, but, but there's something about, yeah, honouring ourselves, honouring our needs, acknowledging ourselves, our needs, and it can be, 
I really want to go and do this thing now and I know the greater good is for me to stay and look after my children or, you know, do what my children need rather than what I need. And then there's another time when it is I need to be looking after myself at the moment. And another little anecdote because a, a friend of mine has had a baby last Christmas. She's, I think she's in her early 40s, so she's a late maturing mother and suddenly finding herself completely alone and abandoned and everyone's just expecting her to look after the baby. Even her mother's working, her parents-in-law who love the baby but they don't have time to actually help her out. And I'm like, you have to, they've got money, so you have to arrange for someone to care for the baby even half a day a week so you just have time to look after yourself. And look, not everybody has that, even that luxury, but to find some way of actually nurturing your own being so you've got the capacity to give. Mm-hmm. And, and as I say that, then I'm feeling bad because I know some people don't appear to have resources and sometimes it's just like, universe, help me because I need some support to be able to give to my baby. We also have to have something to be able to give and if, if we completely run our tank dry, we're not going to be able to be a decent parent. And we're also modeling, we're teaching our kids either that they're the center of the universe, and while they are the center of the universe when they're little, it's also like they need to learn give and take too as they grow up. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm running myself in circles a bit now, but there's, there's something about modeling self-care appropriately that's also teaching children, oh, yeah, my mum actually said I have. she has a need. Okay, that's really interesting. Like mm-hmm. my mother can actually win at a board game um, <laughs> doing everything for me. Um, sorry, being trivial there. It, there's, there's no one rule, and but and I think that's partly where self-compassion comes in because it gives us a bit of perspective. Well, that's the mindfulness aspect, to be able to assess a situation and what's most important in this situation. And trying to find win-win situations, win-win, you know, outcomes, mm-hmm. uh, and and without without being able to step back mindfully and observe a situation, often you know someone's going to be losing, and that's that's brings no joy. Yeah, no, I think especially like the way when you're talking, it really reminded me of that that instruction that they give you in the, on a plane where they say you have to put your your own mask on first yes. before you put on your child and i i've heard that so often on this show and we talk about it we we dissect it almost every episode that i come on to because it's yeah. something that fits so well into parenting and it's something that if you're not fully equipped to handle this if you're not able to really take care of yourself and get yourself ready then you're going to be no help to the child and you're not going to be able to help them if yeah. when things go pear-shaped, when things go badly, because yeah. you're, you're not there. You're not mentally there and you have to be mentally equipped enough to handle someone else. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. And it's, you, it's amazing. And, and, and I do think, you know, sometimes it feels like there's no one out there to help me, but I do trust, you know, rather than just going, there's no one. It's like, universe, please help me somehow. If, if that, there's that feeling there's no one, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, it's it's amazing. And so now this brings us into the practice and habits, some things that you would do, some things that you employ. Uh, so what practices do you sort of take precedent in order to enhance the self-compassion in parenting? Well, look, what I'd like to do is a little practice rather than mm-hmm. talking about practices. There's, there's a simple practice called the self-compassion break, which is, I don't know, it, it, it incorporates the three elements of self-compassion and it's often um, done as, as a sort of a little medit- five-minute, ten-minute meditation, but it's also something that, that you can do in the moment, just re- remembering to do this. And I'll just say here in brackets, one of the reasons I love teaching self-compassion courses is because it reminds me and it reinforces this in me. And, you know, the first time, it's you have these things I think we have to practice again and again in order for them to become part of our, um, our repertoire that we go to rather than our sort of default modes that we've, we've been in. So mm-hmm. um, you sitting there um, in my audience, <laughs> if you will, are willing to just be guided in this practice for a few minutes. Is that okay? Yes. No, I'm I'm totally all for it. I love meditation and anything of it. So Yeah. And and before we'll we start, I just want to talk about an aspect of the practice which is the use of loving kindness phrases. Um they're 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 like uh blessings and, and, and often expressed in like may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be healthy, etc. And they're about cultivating good intentions or goodwill. So, and and rather than an affirmation, which would say, I am happy, I am peaceful, it's more creating the ground in which those good feelings will grow. I, I just think there's a very a lovely graciousness about them. And so they need to be said with warmth. And and so what I'm going to be doing in this practice is, is at different stages, giving you a range of phrases and I invite you to pick whatever one resonates best for you, okay? That makes okay. sense? Okay. So to start off, if you could just close your eyes partially or fully. All right. And I want you to think of a situation in your life that's difficult or that's causing you some stress. So it could be work situation, health situation, relationship issue. It could be concern for someone close to you who's suffering. And I want you to choose a situation in the mild to moderate range because we don't want to be overwhelming your system at this stage when we're just really doing the exercise. So have has something come to mind that's difficult for you at the moment? Yes. Right. Yes. So just as you focus on this situation, can you locate any stress or discomfort in your body? Where, where this, this, you know, where you're really experiencing this difficulty. Just see if so you can a, connect in the physical place. In the physical, physically, you don't even need to okay. say anything to me. Just notice okay. if you can feel it in, in, um, in any particular location. Okay. And then say to yourself slowly and kindly. This is a moment of suffering. Or if it fits you better, this hurts. 
This is uncomfortable. Holding this awareness is mindfulness and just sit with this for a few moments. And now still holding awareness of this situation, tell yourself suffering is part of life or other people feel this way or I'm not alone or maybe we all struggle in your life, in our lives. So this awareness is common humanity and just just focus for a few moments on holding that awareness within you. Now I invite you to put your hands over your heart and just feel the warmth of your hand and the gentle touch of your hands on your chest and say to yourself, may I be kind to myself or may I learn to accept myself as I am. If it's suitable, may I forgive myself. May I be strong. May I be patient. This is self-kindness. So just sit for a few moments holding the awareness of this experience and you can repeat the process again if it it feels right. A phrase that expresses mindfulness, a phrase that expresses the common humanity and a phrase that expresses kindness. And now just notice what's happened to your to your relationship to the situation you were thinking of. That situation hasn't changed, but maybe the feelings around it have softened somewhat. And with that softening comes the possibility of change. And now, open your eyes. So, what did you notice as you were doing that? I think it really hit once the uh, breathing came in when I was holding my heart, um, hand of my heart, there was such difference in 
breathing. I think like it was something wanting to come out and it was something that was just, I don't know. It felt like heavier up here. And like every time I breathed out, it was just wanting to come out, which was very interesting. That, 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 that soothing touch is, is very powerful, isn't it? No, I it mean, is. So many of the practices we do, yes, it's that placing a hand or the hands on the heart. Well, for some people, there's other parts of the body that, that work better, but yeah. And so there in just is. that interest, how, how, what is your feeling in relation to that situation that you originally were thinking of? Has that- oh, it definitely feels a momentary situation now. It definitely feels like there's no real harm in, in it. Like it doesn't feel anything that can really affect you. So there is a huge difference as how I'm feeling about it now, actually. Lovely. That's lovely. And and while we did that kind of as a as a mini meditation, I don't think it was more than five or six minutes, um, it's also possible in the midst of a situation to just go, Wow, I'm really stressing. A lot of people stress in this sort of situation. It's really hard, I, you know, I'm really, you know, I don't, for me, for some reason, it's the phrase, this is hard, just, it, it sort of, it opens it up for me all the time, just going, yeah, this is hard, and maybe because I've always been someone who's wanting to do the right thing, and, so like, oh, and always achieve, and it's almost like, yeah, I'm having difficulty, yeah, poor me. Yeah, and, I think it was really hit when you said this hurt. This does uh, hurt, and I was like, "Okay, that's a. This is a bit more than I was really expecting, and it did really feel. It felt very. It felt like a whole part of my, like something on my heart just sort of like left. It was very interesting. So no, I've never felt that way in such a short time before. Usually, that only happens when I'm in a yoga studio and just sort of taking breathing and calming down but for that five or six minutes that was huge yeah that, that's I've, what i say it's never it's like it to me it's just this sort of magic that happens and i think yeah. so often we are outward focused and trying to do the right thing and and can i coming back to parenting i mean when chloe was born my daughter sorry to use nations <laughs> When my daughter was born, we got a little blue book that was that thick with information and instructions. These days, the blue book is about that thick. And there's so much information and doing it right, you know, and it's like, I mean, I would think back to 50s parenting where, you know, kids just behave and get on with it. Whereas now we're kind of so self-conscious in a way. So it's, you know, the bar is up there and, 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 we need to just come back and be kind to ourselves and go, I'm not going to be the perfect parent, but I'm, mm. I am going to muck it up. But most things, we pray, you know, people don't have situations that you can't recover from. Most situations we can recover from. You yeah. know, we can make mistakes. We, and in fact, we also need to be teaching our children that it's okay to get it wrong and recover you know, the bond, you know, we all make mistakes in life and if we don't get it wrong, we're not going to learn and grow. If we can't acknowledge our vulnerability, if we can't acknowledge that we misunderstood. I mean, telling your child you got it wrong needs to be done the right way, but it's it's actually, 
a real gift mm-hmm. to have that yeah. humility. And it doesn't have to be, oh, oh, I did a terrible thing, but just the humility. Um, as a person, I made a mistake. My God, don't we wish so many of our world leaders could do that a bit more? Yes, yes. No, I, I think that they could definitely learn something from this. Yeah. Um, in terms of that practice that we just sort of went through, how often would you sort of recommend? I mean, this feels like something that you can sort of just replay continuously and just have those questions continuously come through and just somehow find a time to do it on your own. Um, in a space that you feel comfortable in. But how often would you recommend that this practice sort of just be done? As often as you can. <laughs> okay. Um, look, it, it is nice to be able to, I mean, one thing, do you know what I love? There are recordings. I mean, I've got a recording. I don't know. I could send it to you even to, if you can have it as a resource. Um, and there are other recordings available out there on YouTube and whatever. It's a really nice thing to listen to last thing at night, isn't it? When you can just, I'm sure there's something that happened during the day that didn't go the way you wanted to. And to to replay that just because to make it a habit, it takes time. And to my mind, it needs to be a habit. And and we need to start off with little things, small incidents Mm -hmm. to get to become, you know, a new part of our repertoire. So... Yeah, as often as you can. But I also wouldn't say do it every night because then if you don't do it every night, you beat yourself up because you're not doing it every night. Yes. I'm a, I'm a bit soft on homework because but there's, there's again, that balance, you know. You need to practice in order to get better at it, but you need to be compassionate with yourself about the times when you can't do it for whatever reason. Yeah, so it's more like of a, of a scenario that you would take on if you do feel overwhelmed by by a situation or if you do feel like there is something that is sort of difficulty sleeping for example or yeah yeah it's I mean it's hard with sleeping can I tell you this is my 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 German my initial self-compassion awareness experience um which happened maybe 10 15 years ago now I was driving into the city toward the harbor bridge and I suddenly realized I'd gone in the wrong lane and I was going to be going in the wrong direction. You know how you get in that with freeways when it's like. Yes. <laughs> and I heard myself say, you stupid idiot. And I was, I actually heard it. This is where the mindfulness comes in. I mean, I think I, in retrospect, I've been talking to myself like that for a long time. But I suddenly went, what am I doing? I would not talk to anybody else in that tone of voice with that much disdain. And I started to notice, this is before I did any formal self-compassion, I started to notice when I was doing that and I would simply rephrase the words I used to myself in kinder tone. One of the things they they describe self-compassion is showing yourself the same kindness you would show to a friend. And, And the nicest thing is earlier this year I was driving over the Harbour Bridge and I realized I was in the wrong lane and spontaneous. I said, oh, that was silly. And I thought, yes, <laughs> I had learned something <laughs> in the intervening time. I've, you know, I have, I have actually assimilated some of that practice. But it is sometimes it can be as simple as that. 
just when we're being really self-critical, I'm a terrible mother. <laughs> just going, no, I'm, I'm having, a, I'm finding being a mother really challenging at the moment. It's really hard for me. And changing that language, oh, just, um, you know, it, it's complete recalibration of the whole situation. Because if I'm a terrible mother, oh, what does that imply? You know, it's like I'm a failure, you know, it's, it's shut down really. Whereas it's mm-hmm. like I'm really struggling at the moment. Then you're caring and nurturing and this growth, is the potential for growth. And this fits in really well with some of our, with our next section, which is the questions from audience. And right. there are a couple of questions that really stuck out that I really would like to talk about. I know we're going closer to the end of the show, but I think we have a few minutes for some of these questions that I think is really fitting in with what you're talking about and what we've been discussing the whole show. So one of them is what are examples of self-compassionate language and self-talk that parents can use during challenging parenting moments? Yeah. Do you know, well, I, I guess I've given some examples, haven't I, already? This is hard. I'm having a really hard time at the moment. My, my feeling, though, essentially is it's the attitude that that if we're – I would almost say to the person asking the question, let's turn it around. If if you're having a challenging time, it's almost to say to yourself to, to go, well, no, I mean, yeah, this is hard, and just be kind to yourself and see what words come up for you and, and really explore the sorts of language, the kindness languages. Go into the thesaurus, <laughs> synonyms for kindness, you know, and see what they are and, and practice. See see how large a repertoire of, of self-compassionate words you can find. Because, that, I mean, in a way, when I was talking about, you know, the, what the experience triggered by that time on, on the freeway, was I was just looking for how can I turn this around? And often you want to do that after the event. You know, when you're in the thick of things, you don't have time to think. But when you're right lying in bed that night, instead of doing the hamster wheel of, oh, gosh, what did I, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Well, what could I have done differently? And, and look, I really think the idea of thinking, if my friend had done was beating herself up or himself up for that, what would I say to them? You're a good parent. You care for your kids. You love them. You want to do the best. You don't always manage it, but there's always tomorrow, and you try and you care. You know, they're they're really important words, I think, to say to ourselves. To really connect. Mm-hmm. And that also connects you then with the part of yourself that does care rather than the part of yourself that thinks it's not good enough. So, yeah. And that. the next one the next one goes into how can self-compassion and mindful parenting work together to promote an overall family well-being? <laughs> Listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a real it's it's a it's a good question. But I, I think, well, I, as I've said before, when we're when we're mindful as parents, we just we're not. Do you, know, do you know how we learn to be parents largely by from our own parents? Mm. 
Like, even if you go to parenting school, most of what we learn about being a parent is what we learn from our own, own parents. And I'd say, this much, we know I'm not going to do that the way they did it. There's a couple of things we're not going to do again. <laughs> but then there's things like me never saying I love you to my daughter until she pointed it out. It wasn't because I didn't love her. It was because I hadn't worked out. <laughs> I didn't realize that was missing because um, I, had, I hadn't been parented by parents who were outwardly expressive. Um, so am I losing my point? Um, look, bit by bit, I would say, bit by bit, just practicing a little bit every day and forgiving yourself for everything you get wrong because you want to do the best. And gradually it will change the dynamic and the kids, your children will pick up when you're more forgiving to yourself. As I, as I described, my stepson walking beside me, all he wanted was me to be warm and friendly. And as soon as I picked that up from him, I dropped my beating up myself and just was enjoying the delight of walking along with him wherever we were walking along. So the more we can, yeah, reconnect with our own hearts, then the more our family is going to be connected through the heart for be aware of that heart connection and grow in that heart connection. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's an amazing way. Now I would love to talk about the open mic and it gives you a chance to talk about anything that you are passionate about. And I mean, we can end the show on this and this is the final say. So if you want to have any connection with the audience, then this is definitely the time that for you to share something that you are definitely wanting to talk about. <laughs> I, I would like to say that everything I've been talking about is something I'm passionate about, and I, I figured you would have picked that up. Um, <laughs> as, I, as I was saying, I um, during COVID, I did so many online courses, and in a way, what I've been, what I've done with that information, a lot of it, different ways of. Well, there was a course on trauma-sensitive mindfulness. There was a course on healing trauma. There was a course on positive neuroplasticity. They're the ones that stand out. And I've sort of taken what I've learned from a lot of these courses and I'm now just starting to do a one-on-one -on -one mindfulness training program that I call Unraveling Unworthiness. And it's really helping people to shift those really deep um, sentences habits of self-criticism, etc. A lot of the ideas that come from the self-compassion training, but just taking it to a deeper level and working with people one-on-one. -on -one. And I just love it. I mean, it's all the stuff I've done with myself too and continue to do with myself. Oh, when I decided on this topic, then of course, any <laughs> it's like all the unworthiness in me sort of gets brought to the surface. So I have to sort of work through that but we but um and I would also say you know we can't we it's never too late to continue to to keep unfolding our being so that we can live from the heart and really relish our existence rather than you know undercutting ourselves by by not feeling worthy enough so I think that's what I'm passionate about and that's I love working with people and and observing them you know, reconnecting with a more positive sense of themselves. So that's, well, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's that's an amazing. And I think that's an amazing way to end the show and to pretty much summarize a lot of what we've been talking about today. 
So, and if there's a way that audiences would like to get in touch with you, um, possibly see your website, see your information, I know that I'll have the resources down below, but what other ways can audience members get in contact with you? Well, I mean, yeah, website, Facebook, I've got a Facebook page and I've got a website which is called restoringhealth.com.au because I also work as a natural therapist, as a homeopath. Um, yeah, and then my email, my phone are all on there. So, yeah, very welcome. I have to say people tried to contact me on the weekend and I decided I wasn't available and I'm, I have to rethink that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, no. yeah, look, I'm... Yeah, I, I love work. I, I really enjoy people, so, yeah. No, I can definitely tell, and I think you're so approachable in the ways that you, you're you talking today, and it's it's made me so feel so much at ease. So it's very nice to have you on the show today, and I thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon and joining me. Thanks. I've just I've had so much fun. I've really loved it. I mean, yeah, it's so great to be able to share what I what I really value. So thank you very much, Dina. No, that's, that's so glad to have you on. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I've, I'll definitely go and check out Anne's website. Go see um, go see the other work that she does, her other expertise. And if you need any assistance or if you want to talk more about what we did during the practice today, then definitely go and shoot her a message that she can Please. go and reply and explain that to her explain it to you as well so thank you so much for listening and i'll see you guys in the next episode you've been listening to raising parents the parenting science insights podcast produced by the parenting science labs a division of lmsl the life management science labs more episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching lmsl on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.